Good morning. Welcome to High Point. So great to be here with you today. If this is your first time, welcome to High Point Church. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor, and it really is a pleasure to be with you on this fine fall day. It's a little briskness in the air as of late, isn't there? Some of you are dreaming about your pumpkin spice latte right now. I know it. Uh, guys, we're so thrilled to be here with you today, and I want to encourage you. I know sometimes it's everything you can do uh, to get to church, right? There's a lot of things distracting you. There's a lot of things going on in your life. Uh, I want to thank you for being here today, and we have a real special uh, moment today. Um, I don't want to steal too much thunder, but I have a dear friend, dear family, actually, that's here with us today. Uh, you might have noticed, if you were sitting on this section of of the pad of chairs, you might have had a difficult time seeing the screen uh, because we've got a gentleman that's seven feet tall that's, uh, you know, standing here in the front row. And uh, we had the pleasure of working together for six years uh, when I used to play professional basketball uh, together on the same team uh, with him. Uh, just kidding. I know I needed to clarify that for you guys. Uh, guys, Pastor Keith Tower and his wife Jennifer are here today. We had a great moment yesterday with her marriage and parenting workshop. Uh, it was really terrific. And today, uh, Pastor Keith has a great message for us to continue uh, in our Stranger Things series. But before I bring him up, the Bible reminds us to give honor where honor is due. And you need to understand something. We would not have this church here if it were not for this couple sitting right here. And Amy and I moved to Orlando, Florida after meeting Pastor Keith randomly in the frozen tundra of Wisconsin. And he invited us to come down and intern at High Point Church that was just getting started in Orlando. And what was supposed to be six months turned into six years. And we just had a great time uh, getting a church off the ground and seeing it grow and seeing it come into the, you know, the next chapter and the next season. And that was six years. Uh, and I have had the pleasure of being mentored, of having this man lead me when I have things that I don't understand, things that I'm stressing about. This is the first call that I make. Keith, how do I handle this situation? And then he generally laughs on the phone first. You know, man, can't believe you're dealing with that, man. We have a little trash talk going. Keith and Jennifer have been married for 23 years. Uh, Keith used to play for the Magic and I, I believe a couple other teams. Uh, played in the NBA, though, for seven years. And uh, now spends a great deal of his time not only pastoring a church, but helping other young churches really get to where God is getting them to. Uh, and it is, it is truly my great privilege to introduce a wonderful father, uh, a wonderful husband, a great pastor, and a dear friend. Guys, would you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Keith to the stage? Thanks, We're, in fact, teammates in the NBA, and don't let Andy undersell you. Waterboy is a very important position. Um, and he executed those duties well as he did my laundry. It was fantastic. Thank you for that, Pastor Andy. You are in a great church. You're in a great church. You might be sitting here thinking, I'm in, a, I'm in an elementary school cafeteria. The church is not the building. The church is you. And you're in a great church. I work with churches all across our country, all across our, 
literally around the world in our family of churches, every nation. I work with our large ones. I work with our small ones. I work with our startups. I work with our established ones. I help them in transition. And let me just tell you, you are in a great church. Amy and Andy are phenomenal leaders. You know, sometimes you can look and say, we're, we're in an elementary school cafeteria, and, you know, I wish the room got full faster. I passed some giant buildings on my way here, and I'm, should I just pull into one of those? For those of us that work in the church world, where you guys are after three years is unprecedented. This doesn't happen. First of all, you're in the largest 40%. So in other words, 60% of churches in America are smaller than you. And churches after three years, they don't get this big, this strong, this tight, this close, this fast. It doesn't happen. So hang in there. Keep plugging. Know that you have fantastic leaders uh, in Amy and Andy. And, you know, he jokes that I'm always his first call. And he's usually my first call, too. Uh, because even though technically, you know, he worked for me and I pastored him. Uh, he's a man with great command of the word and with incredible integrity, high character, loves Jesus, and, you know, not many people give me a swift kick in the pants sometimes when I need it. <laughs> but Andy will bring those size fours right up and just, <laughs> just give it to me when I need it. Let's jump into the word, shall we? So as Andy, <laughs> as Andy mentioned... Come on, man, those little curly hobbit shoes, it's great. <laughs> As Andy mentioned, I played for the uh, Orlando Magic and some other things, and I, uh, when I played for the Magic, I backed up a guy named Shaquille O'Neal. Now, you older folks know who that is, you younger people, that guy that sells Buick TV and Gold Bond Powder used to be the baddest dude in the NBA. <laughs> he is this much taller than I am, his shoulders are this much wider than mine, and his boots when you're playing against the guys. This, Am I doing this? I don't know. Probably. Okay, I'll stop. I'll just, no, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to resort. I'll yell before I resort to that, uh, unless it'll help with, re with recordings. But anyway, so I was playing against Shaq. My first day in practice, I had to make the team for my contract to be fulfilled. And they did a drill where the first day, first drill, the guards, that's the little guys, they went down and do whatever guards do. And then the big men went down here, and we played basketball. And it worked like this. Let's call the hoop right here. And Shaq comes out here, standing about four feet from the basket. Coach is right over here where giant Stephen Rohr is. And his coach is going to throw the ball to Shaq. And Shaq is going to turn to score. And some poor, unlucky soul has to stand between Shaq and the basket. And the drill works like this. You stay on defense until you stop him. So if Shaq scores, we throw the ball out and we reset the drill. Well, I was young and not the smartest guy in the whole wide world, and I'm like, my road to the NBA goes right through Shaquille O'Neal. I'll step in and play him. So Shaq is standing here on offense. I'm standing right behind him on defense, man. I'm pushing and, you know, using all my strength and all my skill, and they throw it into Shaq, and he to go up for the shot. Buddy, I could jump. I had good legs. So I'm like, I'm going to block his first shot, first drill, first day. This is my moment. And I elevate to go up to block him. And Shaq, like, elevate, elevates. <laughs> and he dunks it. The ball came through, hit me on the head, and, like, dazed me for just a second. I'm like, oh, okay, big fella. This is how it's going to be, huh? All right. So we reset it because I have to stop him. 
He turns a second time, dunks it, third time. Five times in a row, he dunks it directly on my head. Now, I'm just kind of starting to get a little bit discouraged. I don't know if life's ever dunked you from time to time, but it can get a little challenging. And I just have this thought of like, coach said I had to stop him, but he didn't say how. So I'm thinking, I'm just going to foul this dude. Right? I'm just going to chop his arms off. So Shaq's here on, on offense. I'm behind him playing defense. Shaq catches it and turns to go up. And I wound up and I swung down. Down and he broke right through and dunked it again. I'm glad you are enjoying that because I'm like having PTSD up here. They throw it into him like the sixth or seventh time. I don't even know at this point. He goes up, and I decided the one-hander didn't work. I'm going to swing with two hands. So like I'm chopping wood, I just come down, ah! and he just, boom, dunks again. We're on like the eighth time. And I'm thinking, man, the one-hander didn't work, the two-hander didn't work. I'm going to just tackle him. Now I went to Notre Dame. Come on, Fighting Irish, to the big win last night. We're good again. So I'm thinking I am just straight up tackling. So he's playing here on offense. I'm not like playing basketball deep. I'm down like this. I'm ready. I'm just digging in. So they throw it into Shaq, and he turns like this to go up. And as he turns like this, I stepped in like this, and I'm just going to crack him. And my shoulder hits his shoulder. And I've got a big shoulder. But Shaq's shoulder is like the front of a bus. And I'm trying to tackle him, and somehow I end up flat on my back. He dunks the ball. I'm laying flat on my back. He dunks it so hard, it comes through, hits my chest, and knocks the wind out of me. So I peel myself up, cough up a lung, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to stop this guy? All I want to do is go home, have one of those pumpkin lattes you're talking about. So I'm desperate. We're on like the eighth, tenth time. I never was a math major. They throw it into Shaq. And I jumped on his back. I mean, like, had my legs wrapped around his waist, <laughs> my arms around his head, and I'm choking him. <laughs> I am put a death grip on him. I'm hanging on, and he goes up, and he missed. And I'm like, yeah, baby, I just stopped Shaq. I'm the man. It's not what I did. I went over and contemplated my future working at a car wash because I thought I'm just done in basketball. Interestingly, they didn't send me home that day. They let me stick around till the night practice, and I make it through the entire first week. And they bring in like 15 guys, and they're going to probably drop three along the way and get down to a roster of 12. And I notice by the second week, they still haven't sent me home, and some guys are starting to disappear. Make it through the entire preseason. It's the first official day of the season, and I kind of, carry the one, 12. There's only 12 of us left. And I realize I've made in one at a time. Tells him your role on the team. You know, like, hey, Shaq, you know, your job's to score 30 points a game. Hey, Tower, your job's, you know, to get dunked on in practice. Whatever your job is. <laughs> so he brings me in, tells me my role, and he stands up, reaches across the desk, and said, welcome to the NBA. And I said, coach, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you. I'm going to be there for you. You know, give him all that kind of talk. And then I go, but can I, can, can I ask you a question? Something's kind of bothering me, and I, and I just need to ask you. And he goes, sure, ask me anything. I said, I don't know if you remember that first day of practice. And if you don't remember, I can't believe I'm bringing it up to you. <laughs> 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 but 
But do you remember, the, you remember this move, coach? Like, that was the single most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to me on a basketball court. How in the world did I make the team? And coach said, I guess I could see from your perspective how that was embarrassing. And I'm like, is there another perspective? <laughs> and he goes, I could see how that was hard for you, and I could see how you could think that didn't go well, but what you need to understand, it was watching you in that drill, in that moment that I decided I wanted you on this team. I said, Coach, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand. And he goes, look, nobody can stop Shaq in that drill. Nobody ever has, nobody ever will. He said, but the reality is most people would quit. Most people would fake a hamstring industry, you know, injury. Most people go, oh, I tweaked my back. Most people would quit somehow. He said, you jumped on his back for crying out loud. Like, there is something inside of you that is different than anyone else I've seen in that drill. I can teach you how to play defense. I can teach you how to guard him. But what I can't do is put something inside of you that is inherently different than anybody else that I've seen. There's something weird about your heart. Because you're strange. We're in a series called Stranger Things. And can I tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus, there should be something different inside of you. There should be something in your heart that makes you act and react, spawned and respawned, differently than anybody around you. We can teach you how to live. You can get in a life group and learn, you know, wisdom of the Bible. But can I tell you, something inside of you should show on the outside of you, and it should look different. When Coach said most will quit, but you were strange, that ought to be true of every follower of Jesus. Life's hard. Marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Working a job is hard. And most people sit around with weakness on the inside going, I would so much rather not be doing this. But a follower of Jesus says there might be a different purpose and I'm going to be governed by something on the inside that shows on the outside and looks different. Strange. To the world. Pastor Andy asked me if I would talk about stranger things. You conducting your affairs is governed by the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ and how that should look strange to the rest of culture that's flowing in a strong direction. I've got one verse that we're going to take. It's going to be the primary verse. We're going to unpack it a little bit. I'll throw in a couple other ones for some illustration's sake, but there's one primary place I want to take a look at. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, I believe it's going to appear on the screen or in your app or you version or whatever you use. Take a minute, pull your phone up and find it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. All right, you got it? Here we go. The Spirit clearly says, okay, stop, 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 stop. Look at me. Look right here. Do not look. Don't look up there anymore. Don't look on your phone anymore. Don't look at your Bible anymore. Just look at me. Anybody in this room ever said, you know what, God, I'll do what you want if I just know what you want. 
Like, Jesus, if I knew what you desired of me in this situation, if you would just tell me clearly, because I'm trying to decide right now, is this your voice or is this my voice or is this the devil's voice? I'm not sure. Would you please quit talking in the mysteries of God? Would you please just tell me something clearly for once? Make no mistake. Like, write it in the sky. Put it in neon. Please just tell me clearly and I'll do it. Am I the only one that's ever had that conversation with God? Apparently I am. This passage starts off and says, the Spirit clearly says, you just got your prayer answered. There's no debating what this says. There's no, well, maybe he meant it could possibly be taken a couple other ways. Paul, the ancient apostle, probably the wisest man other than Jesus and possibly Solomon from the Old Testament, the author of two-thirds of the New Testament, writes to his young protege Timothy in 2 Timothy. It's the last book that Paul wrote. He's, his death is like, you know, it's, it's right there. He knows he's not going to last much longer. And in 2 Timothy, he writes this. It's, he pours his heart out to his spiritual son, and he locks down a couple things. He goes, this is the last recorded words I'm going to have. And it is crucial that you get this. Let's make no bones about it, Timothy, and anybody that's following you. The Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of God, clearly says, now you can look back at your Bible and let's see what the Spirit of God clearly says. The Spirit clearly says, that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, uh, this was written, you know, eh, give or take 2,000 years ago, uh, maybe 1980 something years ago. It, you're in later times. The Spirit clearly says to the people of Kennesaw in 2017, some will abandon their faith. He's referring to people of faith. Because by definition, you don't abandon something unless you were once it. You all tracking with me? He's not talking about the heathen world that are going to follow deceiving spirits and doctrines taught by by. Demons, he's not talking about Satanists who are following, he's not talking about conjurers of spirits and witchcraft. He's speaking to the people of faith and says, guys, there are things where you are going to be really tempted to not believe God in. You are going to walk through your world and the cultural winds are going to be so strong that it's going to be very difficult to do what Jesus says. It's going to be challenging, the Spirit's clear, to look different and to stand differently, to believe and adhere to and hold fast to something that's different and to live by a different code. The Spirit's clear. Many, or some, are going to abandon the faith. Some are going to choose to trust in the same things that other people trust in. 
which leads to the same results that every other person gets. He's not saying you're chucking Christianity altogether. You may still maintain like a saving faith. I believe he died on the cross. A saving faith for the life to come. But he is saying a lot of people are going to abandon the living faith for the life at hand. We're going to abandon the, the faith, and look at this, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And you might be going, Whew, I'm so glad he's not talking about me now. I was getting a little nervous that I might not trust God in the right things. But I would never follow a deceiving spirit. And I'm sure not going to follow things taught by demons. Oh, thank goodness. If you don't look a little strange, given the cultural winds that are happening today, given the things that our culture is following, given the spirits that our culture is following, given the doctrines that our culture is, is espousing, if you don't look a little different, if you don't find yourself swimming upstream against that, chances are you are following, following the same spirit. Well, I would never. Well, let's look at what demons teach. Can we? We're going to follow deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, and we will cease to believe God and hold firm to his promises in certain areas. Then with regards to relationships, let's look at some things that demons teach so we can be very clear as the people of God, we're not following them. We are, in fact, going to be strangers and aliens. One of the things demons teach is deception. They deceive. They've been deceivers from the very beginning. Let's take a look at this and hopefully unpack it for just a minute. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 4. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the third chapter of the entire Bible. All we've seen in the first two is God creating. He created the earth. He created the waters. He created the stars. He created the sky. He started to create animal, animals. And God is creating in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And it says of everything that he created, nine times in fact, in those first two chapters, it says he created it, he went and looked it over, and he said, that is good. Then he went and created cows and go, that is not only good, wait till they find the ribeye I hid in there. <laughs> then he went and created chickens and goes, dude, when they discover buffalo sauce, oh my gosh, they're going to raise my name. He started creating and goes, this is good, this is good. Then he creates man and woman and goes, that's not just good, that is very good. So all God has created up until this point is good, really good, and completely awesome. And then the serpent comes along and says, Scripture says he was craftier than all the other animals. And he said, hey, Adam and Eve, did God really say you can't eat of those two trees, tree of knowledge of good and evil and tree of life? And they go, yeah, he did. And they go, well, you know why he did that? And they go, no, I don't know why he did that. And he said, here's why. Because, verse 5, God knows that when you eat of it, 
your eyes will be opened and you will be like him knowing good and evil God's holding back sure he gave you all this good stuff but he's holding back he knows that if you eat of this you will be like him and you'll have the knowledge of good and evil no 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 rewind the tape nine times God made something and said it was good and then he said it was very good and then he said it was awesome and now the devil goes, <laughs> come to me and I will give you the knowledge of good and evil. Guess what they already had? The knowledge of, help me out, good. So what does the devil only really ever have the capacity to offer you? The knowledge of evil. And God is in fact holding back the knowledge and experience of evil because he is the giver of good gifts. James, the brother of Jesus, said every good and perfect gift comes from him, the Father of lights. So if he only gives good and the devil goes, come to me and I'll give you good and evil, come on, somebody. How many times do we look at a relationship and we're tempted to go, you know what, that person offended me, and everybody around you goes, you'd be justified in not forgiving him? You'd be justified in telling him to go fly a kite. And you go, yeah, that would be a good thing to do. Now, it's contrary to everything Jesus taught. Remember Jesus who said to forgive. And you go, yeah, but I'm justified. And boy, it sure feels good, doesn't it? And we're tempted with, I could have something good by disobeying God. It's the oldest deception in human history and it's the most common deception you'll ever face. That something good can come from disobeying God. And we're tempted to not forgive. I would never follow a doctrine of a demon. Ever. You won't catch me doing a seance. <laughs> However, Will I follow Jesus' instruction to forgive? There was a time where Jesus was talking to his followers. It's recorded in Luke chapter 17. I didn't put it up here for time's sake. And Jesus said, hey, here's, you know, as you guys go through life, people are going to offend you. And they, and, and Jesus said, I want you to forgive them. And they said, well, like, should we forgive them all the time? Or can we, is there like a magic number? Can we like forgive them like up to seven times? And then after that, we get to be mad at him and yell at him. And he goes, no, no, no. What I'd like for you to do and what you need to do and what I'm commanding you to do is not just forgive him seven times, forgive him 70 times seven times. So I'm sure they pulled out their you know, calculator and did the math. And they're like, sweet, so we only have to forgive him 490 times? So the 491st, can I finally just flip him the bird? I'm justified after all because they hurt me. And Jesus goes, you're, you're, you're missing the point. Here's what I'm saying. 70 times 7 isn't a magic number. What I'm saying is every time you're going to do what I do. Because remember all those times you offended me? Yeah, so every time someone offends you, every time someone does you wrong, every time somebody hurts you, here is what you get to do as a follower of me. You get to forgive them. And the disciples say something fascinating at that moment. They say to Jesus, Increase our faith. 
the only time they say increase our faith. It's recorded a little bit earlier in Luke where Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to go out two by two. I want you to walk out there. Don't take any food. Don't take a change of clothes. Don't worry about it. Everything you need will be provided for you for this month-long journey. Oh, while you're out there, cast out some demons, raise the dead, heal the sick, do all kinds of miracles, preach repentance. And you know what their answer was? Okay. You know what my answer would be? Um, you may want to like increase my faith for that. Hey, Jesus, can I step out there on the and walk on it and defy the laws of physics? Sure, come on out. Okay. I'm kind of going, you might want to like give me like a, a steroid injection of faith. Please increase my faith to do the impossible. And here's the thing. They watched them do the impossible and they themselves did the impossible, never asked for more faith until he asked them to do the really impossible and forgive. And now they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Bro, do you know what you're asking of us? Forgive? If you really want me to do that, you're going to have to increase my faith. Paul wrote to Timothy, in later times, people are going to abandon their faith. Rather than saying, Jesus, increase my faith to be more forgiving and to respond more like you and to let the outside reflect the glory that you've put on the inside, would you please increase my faith to forgive? The reality is many of us sitting in the room, we don't ask for an increase of faith to forgive. We start to abandon our faith. Here's when we're most susceptible to deception. When we're ignorant or when we're wounded. When we're ignorant. Sometimes we're ignorant intentionally. We just ignore. Like, I'm just going to skip over those pages because I don't like them. I don't want to have to apply them to my life, so I'm going to ignore them. Sometimes we're ignorant because we just haven't learned enough. And because of that, we are susceptible to deceptions. We start to take our cues from something other than the Word of God, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, inside of me, dictating how I function on the outside. We just don't know. Oh, and woundedness opens me up to deception. If I've suffered loss or somebody's been mean to me and my heart hurts, it's really easy to misunderstand what Jesus meant in his teachings. Which is why Paul writes... The Spirit's going to say something to you really clearly. In later days, don't abandon trusting God. I know the world is going to hurt. I know it's going to be scary. I know culture is going to transform and shift faster than you won't know up from down, and you're going to be tempted to just grab and flail and respond out of desperation. Ask for more faith. And don't abandon faith. Because to not trust what God said is inherently to follow a different doctrine. You guys with me? Demons deceive. Here's the other thing demons do. They tempt. <clears throat> and you and I should look different than the rest of the world. We should look very strange with regards to the temptations that come our way. 
Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. It's weird. Why would the Spirit lead Jesus into this place? Same reason he leads you into these places. Jesus was led by the Spirit, the same Spirit that told us not to abandon the faith. Jesus was led by that Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Temptation's not temptation. Really. Until you're lacking something. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. I don't know about you. I'll be more than hungry. I'll be angry. Come on now. 40 days he had not eaten. And you know the devil who's an opportunist sit back and, sits back and watches. And after about 25 days, they start to see the physical body because he was fully man and fully God get a little weaker. He probably wasn't doing his push-ups anymore. And they're kind of going, he's, he's getting a little tired. And the demons go, let's tempt him now. And the big dog goes, just, just, just wait. Then at day 35, they're like, can we get him now? Just, 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 just wait. <clears throat> day 40 comes and goes, I think he's weak enough to do something outside of God's will now. Now, let's provide him the opportunity. And you might be going, thank goodness, I would never be tempted. And then your big corporation records record profits. And you're stoked about it because you're in line for a promotion and a bonus. And you don't get them. And you get passed up for someone And the company has record profits and none of it makes its way to you. And now you're feeling slighted. And then the kid's orthodontic bill comes up. And then your 401k goes a little south. And it gets really easy to think this big giant corporation who has just been using you for their record profits owes you something. And I think deceiving spirits wait and watch and go, should we leave the money bag open in front of them yet? No, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet. Not yet. Let's, let's, let's blow out all four tires. Now we have. We're not tempted when we're strong. We're tempted when we're weak. Your secretary doesn't look good until your wife hasn't talked to you in two weeks. And now, we feel entitled to something. You know what, God? My situation stinks, and if you're not going to fix it, I will. And rather than have faith and believe God for his rather than have faith and believe God to restore your home life, Rather than have faith and trust in the promises of God, we abandon them and we follow deceiving spirits not taking care of And we reach in a cookie jar that's not ours. And you take. Whether it's money, whether it's someone else's purity, 
whether it's somebody else's intellectual property, as you peek over on the one who studied, we take from one another. And every step you take away from faith toward doctrine of demons, there's always someone telling you you're justified in doing that. Dude, everybody cheats. Well, are you strange or are you not? Will you abandon the things of the faith to look like everyone else, or will you not? Here's one of the things that the demons do. Demons accuse. They accuse. And I don't think you and I are ever more demonically inspired than when we accuse. Scripture says of Satan himself, he is the accuser of the brothers. He points at you and he says things about you or about them, that group. You know what I find fascinating? Is we see, he says in the, in the first Timothy, in the Timothy verse, he says, you're going to follow deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, yet nowhere in the Bible is a demon ever actually named. Satan's different. He's the devil. He's not a demon. There are no named demons. Of all the angels that joined Satan in his rebellion against God and got smacked down to here, I'm sure they had names when they were angels, but when God puts them down to the earth, he robs them of the dignity of having a name. He removes that from them. You know what he does to them? He demonizes them. They're robbed of the dignity of individuality and naming. They've been demonized. And oh, by the way, that happens a lot in our culture today when we demonize them, whoever them is. Rather than have faith and sit down with somebody different than you and have a conversation, we lump a group of them together, strip them of the dignity of individual name, and we demonize the enemy. Those rich, greedy football guys taking names, taking knees, those so-and-sos, do you know any of them by name? I do. And I don't mean because I've read their roster, I mean because I know them and their wife and their kids. Been to their house their friends making a decision but when I blanket categorically accuse an entire group and strip them of the dignity of individuality the very image of God placed in them I demonize them I'm acting with the doctrine of demons maybe that's not your thing maybe you've looked at the horrors that took place in Las Vegas and you're going those right wing gun owning NRA rootin' tootin' blankety blanks and we've taken a group of law-abiding people and lumped them in and accusing them of mass murder. I'm one of those right-wing, crazy, gun-owning, I have some. I've had a gun pressed against my forehead. And I will never be unarmed again. I don't think that makes me this crazy man in Las Vegas. Oh, by the way, my name's Keith when we turn them into them. Well, you know all black people and all black lives matter. Have you met Kellen and Jasmine? They're some of the finest people. I've known them for a decade. I remember when they weren't married. 
Now they've got all these beautiful kids. But who, I, don't, I don't know about them black people, but I know about Kellen and Jasmine. Well, you know, all the cops and all the pigs. Well, wait, do you mean? Because I don't know if you've ever met Davis and Val, but here's a guy that loves his community enough and his country enough that he has personally sacrificed and bled for it. Have you ever met David? I don't know about them. Nameless, faceless group of them that I'm accusing of something. It's the doctrine of demons. I demonize the enemy by robbing people made in the image of God from having the dignity of getting to know them individually. Buddy, the culture's got a little different flow on accusation. Can I get an amen? If you didn't amen me, you've never opened social media. You open it and you see groups and lumps and nameless, faceless and accusation and it is so tempting for a Christian to stand up for a group or to categorically something on this group. And can I tell you, Jesus did not do that. He walked with Mary and Peter and James and John and the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery. He walked with individuals. He died for individuals. If he chose to associate all by their perceived offense against him, we'd all been toast. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead the same spirit that led him out into temptation, that is the same spirit that inspired Paul to write, and it's the same spirit that speaks clearly to you and I. It says, guys, listen to me. The days in which you live, you are gonna be really, 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 really tempted to abandon the faith. Do it. I don't mean you're gonna get unsaved. I mean, you're gonna act like everybody else. And you're going to find other Christians doing it who you admired, and you're going to think it's okay. Don't. It's a doctrine of demons. Deceiving spirits. I've given you the spirit of truth inside of you. You wouldn't bite on all those lies. You wouldn't be deceived in the same manner. You wouldn't be tempted in the same manner. And buddy, you would not interact with your fellow man who I died for them and have named them. You wouldn't walk in a spirit of accusation toward them. You need to be changed. I'm going to skip that one First Timothy verse. Let's go to the last verse I gave you guys, if you would. Look at First Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them 
so that everyone may see your progress. Pastor Keith, I'm doing those things. What do I do? You, you need to be diligent. We live in tricky days. It's really easy to feel righteous about who you're accusing. As long as you accuse the right group, you're going to have all kind of people tell you you're awesome. <laughs> Except for Jesus. Because he doesn't find that awesome. Be diligent. Give yourself holy. Not holy as in like pure and holy. Fully. You got to be all in for living strangely so that everyone will see your progress. We have a very progressive culture today. We love progress. You know what's not progressing the way it should? Is the gospel. As culture moves way over here, if you just don't move, you should have gained ground. I'm not saying you got to turn the world upside down. I'm just saying, just even if you move slowly in their direction, you're going to gain ground. Just, just stay put, anchored into the things that are true of God, no matter what culture says. Don't follow deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Stay right here, and everyone will go, wow, you're way over there. Yeah. See your progress. Goes on and says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Demonic doctrine has consequence for you and for anyone else. Good doctrine in Christ has consequences for you and for anyone who also anchors into them. Could you imagine what Kennesaw and North Georgia could look like if all the hundred people in this room decided to persevere and give themselves wholly to anchoring into the things of God and not following demonic doctrine. Your community, there's not a city in the world well, might be an exaggeration. I can't think of a city off the top of my head that has 100 people committed to fully standing in every area of their life and not biting on that dumb stuff. Your city could be changed. You're part of a great church. Link arms with other people that aren't moving and buying this nonsense that's going on. Link in. Give yourself wholly to it, fully to it, and watch what God would do in your midst. Father, thank you for these amazing people. I thank you that your word's true. May we just simply do what your spirit clearly tells us to do. I'm glad it's not a big fat mystery, Jesus. I thank you. You said it was clear. May we just simply say yes and amen with courage and faith.